0: Mindfulness Mode.
1: There's so much more joy in just hearing from the other person.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe, Bruce Lankford here. So good to have you back to Mindfulness Mode. And I just want to say right off, last episode with William Yasky, I had a technical issue with that episode. And when it uploaded, you only heard me, you didn't hear him. And then I I fixed it, I changed it. So if you're hearing that and there's only one side, just refresh your feed or send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and I will send you the full episode. directly so I apologize for that error and now here we are with today's episode hey mindful tribe welcome to the show today I'm with a writer And he's not only a writer, he's a writer with a sense of humor, and he has captivated audiences not only through his books, but on radio, on stage, on television, as a rock radio DJ, a stand-up comedian, a television producer. He's literally spent his whole life under a spotlight, and now he's under the mindfulness mode spotlight. So I'm really excited to have Dick Wybrow with me. Hey, Dick, are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: I am. I'm right in the middle of mindfulness mode. It is uh, coming up on 4 a.m. where I am right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I sure appreciate you
1: jumping on the call
0: when it's that early in New Zealand.
1: (laughs) I'm up early all the time anyhow. And to be honest, it's these early morning hours. Even though I'm I'm not a morning person, I became a morning person doing morning radio. But I do find that the early morning hours are some of the greatest hours in the world. Because you've kind of got the whole world to yourself. Yeah. Like, if, if you go to, like, a 24-hour grocery store, you find it, you're the first in line. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you, you go to the gas station, I'm first in line here, too, you know? And so, yeah, the, the early, very early morning hours like this, because I'm up normally around this time already, even though I actually, um, I work in television still. And so my day job ends at 730 at night. Um, I love these early morning hours, despite how tired it kind of, it can make you. Although, with an arcolepsy, you're used to that. Um this becomes my world it's almost like a solopsist. I come in here this all belongs to me now and so it's easy to get into mindfulness mode that way yeah
0: for sure well what does mindfulness mean to you dick
1: uh I think for me it's like a lot of people it's about just being present you know yeah. and as I say like right now I could walk in my neighborhood not see anybody I could walk half an hour not see anybody it's just being in that particular moment and I guess more specifically for a lot of folks when we do get into those quiet moments there's a there's a tendency to start pulling out the swords from the past and start thinking about those things that really start to chip away at us mm-hmm. or or about about the concerns of the future and as much as i can and i really find the benefits of this pushing those aside and just enjoying what's in front of me being present what what's happening uh in front of me at that particular moment and that is calming that is something that is centric and, and those are the the small joys in life, you know, not getting lost in the past or worries about the future, it's just being in the present in the moment.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, you've been a DJ, you've been on stage so much, you've done all of these things where you've been on the spotlight, but now you're a fiction writer. So how did that yeah. happen? What's that about?
1: That has always sort of been, you know, I started writing when I was like 17, and that's always sort of been the quest, the desire. But it's actually been the writing that has that got me into each one of those things, even though like I wrote my first book when I was 17 and I tell you, it was awful. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was terrible. It was, it was, it was best for a fire. That was the best of what that was good for. (laughs) But, but it but that writing, like, for example, when I first, started to get into stand-up comedy. It wasn't like, I really want to be a stand-up comedian. I always loved stand-up comedy. I used to listen to comedy records when I was younger. I memorized them. I knew them. But being a stand-up comic, getting on stage in front of people because I was always a shy person wasn't something I wanted to really do. But I found that stand-up comedy was <laughs> a cheeky way of actually writing something and getting published that night. Uh-huh. So I'd I'd write something and I'd get up in front of an audience and like ha huh? and they'd react or not react or they'd laugh if they didn't laugh I'd take it out or edit it but that's sort of what, how that happened and then then from from the stand-up comedy it became like you know because for a while there in stand-up it was going really well you'd you'd go and like I was doing stand-up comedy in Minneapolis in the early 90s and Bruce, you should have seen the place. It, you'd go into almost any comedy club, and it was like being in the Royal Col- Coliseum. It was just these crowds of people in there, and that was just energizing. Yeah. Talk about being in the moment, right? Yeah. We were all there in the moment. It was fantastic. Uh, but then television started putting stand-up comedy on, on every channel, on A&E, on Comedy Central, on, you know, cooking shows they all had stand-up comedy so fewer and fewer people started showing up at clubs so i started thinking i saw the writing on the wall and thought how can i do what i'm doing now and and maybe not travel so much you don't have to go on the road and that obviously turned into radio and so i did radio for about a dozen years after that and then from there, transition into television and now moving to becoming a full-time writer. So it's all been writing along the way. It's all been that generating something from my own strange imagination all along the way.
0: That's cool. And now you're working on a trilogy, the Werewolf trilogy. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> it's funny because I never – if you would said to me, Bruce, um, hey, listen, uh, what do you really want to write? I really want to write a werewolf book no <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm not even a, a big fan of monsters or any of that stuff basically all the things i write have a bit of a humor theme through them mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be like laugh a lot slapstick funny that's not what i'm talking about it's just there is a bit of a veracity to humor there's a tr- there, there's a reason why things are funny a lot of times the reason they're funny is because there's a greater truth to them yeah and so I, I just kind of was writing a story about somebody who was talking about a fish out of water. This is a guy who, well, he was a wolf and he gets bit by this infected guy yeah. and he turns into a human. <laughs> and so it's about, about this six foot seven French Canadian, uh-huh. of course. Yeah. Um, who used to be a wolf just a year earlier trying to work out his way through the world and more specifically trying to find his way back to his wolf pack. Because really, if you were a wolf running around through the woods, why would you want to be human? You know, why would you want that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the story, he meets up with this uh, young woman who's also in her own way sort of lost. Um, she is a part-time criminal. Um, but the funny part when it comes to him becoming human is Kane is the name of the character. As a human, he's working out bits and pieces of the human world, and he sees it through a wolf's eyes, which is really fun. Uh, readers are really fun; those characters. I uh, found those those uh, chapters where he's sort of we see the world through his eyes. They're really enjoying that. Yeah. But a couple of things he doesn't really get. One of them is driving. He just can't work out driving. Okay. <laughs> Cars confuse him. Yeah. And that's where Melda comes in. And so Melda starts off as basically his driver, and she drives him around as he's trying to find these clues and secrets to find out how all this happened to him and so through this sort of early bond between the two of them she gets more and more invested in his quest and they work together and it just goes from there they they, they go and chase down this mystery together and it's fun the interaction between the two of them because they're such very different people. And they come at the world from very different places, yet still seem to find sort of a place where they begin to sort of care about each other. Um, you know, found family is the term I've heard a lot of people say, and they do find comfort in each other, in even though they they could be farther and farther away from each other.
0: And so, this guy's name is Kane K A N E, right?
1: Exactly, and yes, it's a little bit of a, a play on Kane lupus, right? <laughs> the you know the the, the term for uh, for being a wolf yeah yeah, yeah he's a, he's a fun character and, and i love looking at the world through his eyes yeah. um because you know talking about mindfulness somebody actually pointed out uh, that kane himself is quite a very uh, mindful person mm-hmm. for being a former wolf there's there's a scene in there and i'll give you a quick example of this there there's a c- scene in there where um imelda and kane they, they're searching for this car right mm-hmm. And so they go to this car show. He's never been to a car show before, and he's in there, and he's 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 picking up on the on the sounds and and the and the visual of all these beautiful cars out there, and the in the in the aroma of everything, and and so Amelda's is there, and she's a little bit jaded, and so she's like, "Yeah, they've got everything. You don't need any of this stuff. You get they got corn dogs and funnel cakes and all sorts of garbage." And so, and so he's going through there, taking all these moments in during this uh, during this scene. And, and she starts to speak about something along the plot line, uh, something very serious. And, uh, and she, he sort of interrupts her and goes, I would like to try these funnel cakes. <laughs> <laughs> He's... He's focused, man. He's like, I'm here now and yeah. I want to try those. I know we've got to find all the stuff and I know we've got bad guys chasing us, but those funnel cakes, I want to try that out. And so, and so I do try and think on occasion about how does Cain see the world, you know, that maybe I can internalize some of that, be in that moment and see what's around you and don't miss out on the opportunities that are around you, even though in their case, they're being hunted down and chased by people.
0: That's really cool. So your best yeah. time to write is early, early in the morning. Is that right? You already talked about being a person who gets up early in the morning. And what what sort of environment do you have to have in order to write, to feel good about writing?
1: Now, I wish I could say that I create a nice, serene environment around me. As you look right now, it looks very clean. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And And my wife has set up this lovely scene around me, but I've got... I got like cups over here and bottles over here and I've got uh, you know, three, four, five pair of headphones there. I think it's just you know, there was always this sort of thought and I was always sort of told that, you know, you want to keep a nice clean environment. It's sort of the environment that you feel comfortable in. Sure. It's not dirty. It's just chaos. <laughs> but it's my chaos. Yeah. I know that if I because I, I use uh, wrist guards to write okay. um, because I'm getting older now and I don't hurt myself no. so I've got my wrist guards here I've got my headphones here I've got water here I've got my narcolepsy medicine there I've got I've got all my stuff around me it, it's kind of like I've built a nest yeah. in a way yeah yeah and so I come in I come in here in my nest in the morning and and this is my sort of my comfortable space yeah. and um, I throw on when I'm writing, when I'm writing, I, I throw on a soundtrack to a film, okay, um, because there's no words in there to pull my head away. Yeah. When I'm editing, I usually put on some old rock music yeah. and it kind of keeps me awake and keeps me going. Um, so that's the scene I create and so far of uh, in just the last four months of uh, creative three books out of that. Wow,
0: in four months, that's fantastic, yeah. and that's the the four the books that you wrote are they the the Kane books in the last few months?
1: Yeah, exactly. They're they're the Kane series. I'm just just wrapping up the third. I just finished the first draft of uh, the third one, which is coming out in December, Cain Unhinged. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has been really fun to do. And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the book, but that has really been enjoyed to do because some part of it actually came from from readers. Because um, I've had some discussions, like reader groups, and that wanted to talk about the book, and so they would have like book clubs and that, and it would invite me in via Zoom and things like this. And so I was talking to I um, grew this group up in the UK, and this woman had said uh, she was like, oh, "I'm really loving this story, this, this, and this, and I can't wait till we can find out more about Kane, about his past, and about him him growing up on that farm up in British Columbia." And I was just starting book three at that point. I was like, of course, this exactly what I'll be doing yeah. in, in you know, in a book is talking about him growing up. <laughs> and so it was that input that said, you know what, this is something people want to hear about and it was a brilliant idea. It was it was something I would planning on doing along the way, but it became a bit of a central theme in this book. About his development and and those challenges in that year that he was spending with uh, his what he calls his human parents and so no it's been it's been a fun journey along the way and I've just loved the back and forth with readers it's, that's a great great joy for me.
0: That's really fascinating. Tell us more about a life with uh, narcolepsy and when you first knew you had it and what it's like living with that.
1: So narcolepsy and I probably should have said some of this in the beginning. There are times like when I'm speaking with you, Bruce, that. Because of the narcolepsy, um, even though I, I, may, I may seem much more awake, I am I am dreadfully tired all the time, and I don't know really how to express it to anybody else because this is how I've always felt. But somebody um, who was also narcoleptic said <clears throat> that they tell people it's like stay up for thirty hours or thirty five hours. Now go to go to work, and that's how it feels. It's like yeah, yeah I'm always always tired. Mm-hmm. I I always knew I was tired. Um, When I was younger, my dad called me lazy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or he teased me about taking naps all the time. He's always going through growth spurts because I'm five foot eight. I'm not going through any growth spurts. Um, (laughs) But I only found out like my late 20s, early 30s that I had narcolepsy. And to be honest, that was such a relief in a way because I did find that uh, because I'm tired all the time, I did find myself getting frustrated with other people. I wouldn't necessarily lash out, but I would be resentful to other people. And so I had to. Once I did get that diagnosis, I went ah, oh, that's, that's what that thi- that thing is out there. And now I had a bit of a villain or, or a superpower mm-hmm. that I see it as sometimes, uh, that I could point to. And so, so mindfulness does really help me uh, because um, you know there are moments that I can meditate. Um, there are times during my day that I'll take twenty minutes out, twenty-five minutes out. I set the alarm on my phone and I just take some time to myself, and that helps me recenter. And it gets me back to being able to do what I need to do. So like I'm saying, it can be frustrating, but I also see narcolepsy over the last couple of years for my part, I do sincerely see it as a superpower because, you know, when you're going to bed and you're lying down at night mm-hmm. and those thoughts are starting to race around in your head, you know, you're really creative and you think, well, that's a really good idea. I should write that down. I'll I'll remember in the morning and then you don't remember in the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That state that you're in, that sort of creative state you're in, I'm in that state 90% ah. of my day. Oh, I see. And so so because of that, I think that's where a lot of this sort of creativity comes from. I think that's where a lot of some of the humor or these storylines or these characters that build up my head. I think that because I believe this because of the narcolepsy, that gift that I have, I'm able to create these worlds that people seem to enjoy.
0: That's really interesting. I wondered what you meant that it might make you a bit of a superhero. And and now that you've explained it, that makes sense completely
1: not a superhero (laughs) Uh, you're a superhero (laughs) (laughs) yeah but no it's and you know and it's it's both things as you know bruce it's it's both things it's not it is one thing and i really sincerely do believe that but it also gives me power over it right because now instead of it acting on me i'm using it yeah and so when i take that power away from it and i'm the controller now i'm in charge uh that is really empowering and it's something as i mentioned that's something that is is been very productive for me the last couple of decades that's
0: that's cool tell us about living in new zealand how does it differ from living in some of the other places you've lived in in your life
1: yeah it uh news Z- you know, we we all speak english yes uh but we don't all speak the same language i'm learning this Yeah. uh was, i know and i grew up with a kiwi father uh-huh. um but there there are th- it, and it, he's starting to make more and more sense all the time new zealand has they're all lovely people. They're amazing people here. And half my family is Kiwi, but <clears throat> they don't, oh, they don't express themselves like Americans or North Americans do, you know, and I do find on occasion when I'll be talking with people, I do get blank stares because they're not used to just saying what's on, on their mind. And, a, and I've had a number of folks, there's a guy I know named Mark, who's become a good friend that I met a couple of years ago. And he says, "You know, I just love talking with you because I can say whatever I want." As like, I don't even know what you mean by that. He says, "Well, I know I can just say what's on my mind because I, I'm not sure." And there's there's something called tall poppy, and you can look that up. It's fascinating this tall poppy thing. But there is this sense of don't put yourself out there too much, or don't don't put yourself too high up like a tall poppy, or you get chopped down a bit. Ah, uh, yeah. And so that that ends up i think most people would say that it negatively kind of affects conversation so you have to manage your way around that a bit um, when you're talking with people and also for, as a north american you try not to bowl people over because we have very bold personalities especially compared to a lot of folks in new zealand and you can overpower a conversation right and nobody wants to do that yeah you know you want a bit of a back and forth with somebody so so coming here i had to learn that language to be able to just kind of sit back and make sure i'm allowing people into that space because i know that the strength of you know a north american conversation or personality can really be overpowering to folks right. um but it's it's lovely here it's it's beautiful the people are amazingly nice They're mean drivers in Auckland. I'll tell you that. I don't know. I think there's a lot of repression.
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I ride a motorcycle, man. And I got to watch out because these people are sweet and they're kind. But then they get behind the wheel and they turn into demons. I don't know what that is. And so (laughs) so I just got to keep an eye out for them. Yeah, you be careful. But they're great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the people out here and we live about uh 45 minutes just outside of Auckland and it's gorgeous and uh a rooster out there uh wake, joins me in the morning. I I think I wake the rooster up, uh, to be honest. <laughs> he gets up at about uh about 4:50 or so, but uh there's a real wonderful sort of I don't know, it it's not so serious, mm-hmm. you know. I I remember and I love the US and I love growing up in Canada but we take, you know, here are the rules, and this is the way it is, and stay within the lines, and in New Zealand, it's a little bit like, ah, it's fine. I mean, even even like, even like people in the position of authority, uh, when you've done something that maybe wasn't the best idea, instead of saying, well, the rules say I have to write you up, or the rules say that you have to get punished, they're like, ah, it's, you're probably fine. And they do, it, not like just blowing it off, they do evaluate and take a look at it. There's a, a far more sort of sense of, Let's see what's right for this scenario. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't really mean it, if everybody's kind of like cool with this, we don't need to do anything about it, just don't do it again. And and that sort of permeates the entire society. I guess it's because you've got a, an island nation in the middle of nowhere, five million people, we just all got to find a way to kind of get on, do and get it on as best as we can. And it's it creates a really cool zen environment out here.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I want to ask you a question, Dick, about bullying and whether you were ever bullied yeah. or have a story about that, where mindfulness would have made a difference.
1: Yeah, I was I was a chubby kid. And so uh, being a chubby kid with a Canadian accent living in New Jersey, yeah. forget it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a target. Yeah. <laughs> but that itself that and so that made me a bit shy but it also um but it also taught me a little bit about humor because i could use humor as a bit of defense uh even as an adult though because i've worked in television for 20 years and i've worked with some really big personalities you know really high profile personalities and i've and they've come at me a couple of times uh, and it's bullying but i have noticed and you mentioned the mindfulness uh angle so when somebody starts to come at you, you can get really defensive, and the walls go up, and the claws can come out—that sort of thing. But when I really think about it, and I really mean this sincerely, nine times out of ten, or even ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that insecurity, that bullying, comes from—in their case, in, in, from what my experience comes from a place of insecurity, mm-hmm. that they're lashing out because because of something within them. Like, for example, if I've created IntelliJ, if I've created a scene or, or or written something, and somebody starts coming at me, saying like, oh, that's no good, or I don't like that. Instead of me go getting defensive and saying, like, wow, that's something I created. I know it'll work. I've been doing this for years and years. I try and be in the moment and think, okay, what might they have a problem with this? And I'll take a look at it. And there's usually I've created something they're not quite comfortable with. Maybe there's some foreign words in there, or maybe I'm, they might worry that I'm making them look silly or something like that. And if I can pull away all my sort of hangups, listen to what they're saying, I'll realize they're not attacking what I've written or they're not attacking something I've set up in that scene they're expressing their insecurity about I can't do that, or I'm going to look stupid. And if I can pay attention to that, if I can really pay attention to that, and it's hard to do because it sort of takes a bit of a resolve to be able to do that. Not only does it alleviate any anxiety I've got, but I'm helping them. I, I can try and listen to what they're saying change what i've done to make it fit them and i lower their anxiety and 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 that has been something i've had to learn over the years and that's not easy because when somebody's really coming at you especially somebody of high profile you know somebody who people recognize their face on television there's a bit of a veracity of those kind of people right we see their face so they have authority but over the years i've learned that when that bullying starts and there's a fair lot of it in in television that i have to be quiet I have to think about what's happening in that moment, see what is causing this. And if I can find the root of it, I can not only help myself, but I can help them.
0: Right, right. I know that your website is DickWyBrow.com, D-I-C-K-W-Y-B-R-O-W.com. And can we buy your books there or should we go to Amazon or what?
1: Yeah, if you go to the website, it'll take you, you click on the link there, take you straight to Amazon. And if if any of your uh, viewers or listeners uh, pick it up, it should reach out to me. I answer all my emails or, or Facebook and all that. I love to hear what people think of the story. I really love to hear from all different parts of the, of the world and all different uh, demographics, young, old, whatever, any race. Just how they interpret the story. I find that very fascinating. So, if you enjoyed it and read it or enjoyed it and didn't read it, I mean, that's possible too. Let me know. I'd love to hear from folks. Yeah.
0: And I'm looking forward to reading it. And I'm looking forward to my son reading it because he loves to read fiction books too. So, I love that. Yeah. So, as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So, just 30 second answers are perfect, Dick. The first one is this Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life?
1: Ah, Tommy Kramer. (laughs) Somebody you don't know. He's an old talent coach of mine. Okay. And he's somebody who taught me how to sort of look at myself. And I'll try to do this in a couple seconds, but he was the first person to tell me, you have uh, an ignore, ignore, ignore zap personality. It's like, what? What does that mean? He said, you ignore things, ignore things, ignore things, and then you're triggered and you zap. and. And I'd never even considered that at all, but it, he was right because I'm, you know, Canadian in some way. So I sort of, I keep my emotions in, keep my emotions in. And then suddenly somebody maybe moves into the lane in front of me and doesn't put a turn signal on. And I go, I will land you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's and and he was one of the early people in my life that that said, you know, look at what you're doing. Look at, look at what's happening inside of you and you're going to be a lot happier. And he was exactly right. Oh, that's interesting
0: i want to talk to you about your emotions and how mindfulness has helped you deal with your emotions differently
1: right yeah it has in a sense like like i was saying a moment ago about sort of taking a look at where that is generating from right um and in part like I mentioned, discovering that I had some of the narcolepsy, mm-hmm. just discovering that that was creating some of the frustration, mm-hmm. that was a big help. I, I think as much as I can because emotions are a reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Emotions are a reaction to either what I'm generating or somebody else is. And if I can go back to the source and take a look at the thing that is causing that thing, that helps me deal with the emotions. Because a lot of times, it's 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 not one shouldn't lead to the other and there's mess there's mess and stuff around the way and the emotions will cloud that you can't really make any proper judgments when you're really wound up with emotions so i try to use mindfulness to be able to take a look and see what is causing this in me right now how can i calm this and work out this problem and then not only you solve the problem but the emotion dissipates
0: right yeah that makes sense do you have any uh any techniques of breathing that help you at all any thoughts about breathing
1: Yeah, I do. Somewhere along the way, it broke my brain. I used to be able to meditate a bit, right? Uh But I don't do that as well anymore. So my version of meditation is, and this might help somebody, I don't know, it sounds kind of goofy. I go into a dark room, and I I lie down on the dark, and I count my breathing, you know, like, you know, five in, six out, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. But one thing I do do is I look at the inside of my eyelids, and I know how goofy that sounds. But for a while, as I do that, because your mind's racing and racing, but I focus on... Because if you do that long enough, for a minute or two, you start to see sort of shapes. The mind starts to create shapes. Mm -hmm. And I focus on those shapes. And sincerely, this works for me. You start to see the ridges of the shapes. You start to see more definition. And eventually, that starts to create more and more. And I'm not saying you're going to see cities and skylines. But the more I do that, I find myself focused in on that particular moment. And I find myself seeing these visual expressions and sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't. But that's my version of meditation right now, just sort of counting my breaths and calming that way. And then just focusing on some of these, these lights that start to come up in the brain. And that puts me centered. And I do that, like I said, for about 20, 25 minutes and I'm right as rain. Right.
0: That's interesting. I want to ask you if there are any books that are related to mindfulness that you would recommend?
1: Uh, I don't have a ton of books. That, I don't have a time to read a lot of books. Sure. And an unusual thing I, I will give you is this is I, instead of books or apps, I do listen to an audiobook. And mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say the name of the book because it doesn't matter. But this is like a nine book series. It's 55 hours long. And late last year, I was listening to this book. And I listened to it all the way through. And it's a thriller and all this sort of thing. And then I couldn't sleep about a month later or so, and I'd already listened to this fifty-five hours. a long time. Yeah. I, I already listened to it, but I put it on and I realized something. In listening to this, I didn't have to follow along the story, right? Right. It could just be there with me hanging out in the background. There's no jeopardy that if I fell asleep or didn't pay attention, I'd lose something because I've already heard it. And so that was so I've listened <laughs> I've listened to that that audiobook series a dozen times then last year. Yeah. And that's a lot of time, you know, it's 500, 500 plus hours. Yes, it is. But I find that listening to that and the guy's got a nice voice and the storyline doesn't really matter. But it's a world I can go into that I know that if I fade in and out of it, that I don't lose anything because I know the entire story. And I found that helps me. I don't know if it might help somebody else. Maybe they've tried some of these call maps, whatever, didn't work. But if there's, a, I think it helps the fact that it's long, so I don't have any anxiety about it's going to end. Mm-hmm. This thing is, all oh, this is more than two days long. So I can just go into that world, and it just kind of just kind of swirls around me, and I can just enjoy it and fade in and out, and, and it's bliss, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, and it's a concept that nobody's really talked about very much on the show before, so I really like that. I want to uh, – well, you've already uh, talked about apps, so we won't uh, – Talk about that again but i just want to ask you if you have any final words of advice before we wrap up the interview you know to our mindful tribe listeners regarding mindfulness or you know getting focused on doing what you want in life that kind of thing
1: i I think that i think we've talked a lot about a a lot of it but there's there's something so value valuable in just being in the moment but also being in the moment with somebody else there's such a desire when two people are having a conversation that you're waiting for those lips to stop moving so I can get my bit in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's there there's so much more joy in just hearing from the other person. It really is. With listening to what they're saying and responding to what they're saying. Not only is that great for you, but it's great for them. You know, people if you have a conversation with somebody, and I've, j- I've joked about this before, if you have a conversation with somebody, let's say you've 10 a conversation and you've said all of a dozen words, that person will come away from the conversation and talk to somebody else and going, that guy is an amazing conversationalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you let them speak, you let them tell their story and you can get a lot of joy out of hearing somebody else and it's it's fun to watch somebody else enjoying you enjoying that conversation so i guess if there's anything for all this mindfulness we're talking about it's about us but it's also about other people and letting other people into our world so when you're with somebody i I think the next time you're with somebody if you don't do this a lot i think just consciously thinking i'm just going to be into what they're saying i'm not going to wait for my turn we're gonna i'm going to be into what they're saying and and feed that and let them speak and and you will get joy off of them you will feel it radiating off them they're you're letting them tell their story, and and you're making their life a little bit better which makes your life better and so I think that is something as I get older that's something I've had to learn to kind of just calm my stuff and lift other people up. And what an amazing feeling that is when that happens.
0: Yeah, that's that's really, really good stuff to hear from you. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dick. It's, it's awesome to talk with you.
1: Thank you, Bruce. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, all the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening today to the Mindfulness Mode Podcast. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you go over to Apple and would you leave a comment? Would you subscribe, leave a comment and uh, just leave a review for the podcast? That would help me so much. All of those reviews really help to boost how many people hear the podcast and how many people benefit from the podcast. So if you would do that, I would be so grateful. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new, heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode